It was not that they received it, it was the way they received it. If you're going to receive the Word of God, then you've got to start with reading it, don't you? You know, some have said, Pastor, the Bible doesn't say you have to read the Bible. <clears throat> well, pray tell me, if you don't read it, how are you going to learn what it says? So actually, the Bible has several verses that encourage us to read the Word of God. Let me just show you one, if I may. 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you'll turn there, <clears throat> Paul was writing to Timothy, which was his, his student in the faith. <clears throat> Excuse me, and he was encouraging him, giving him some some life principles and something to exercise here. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 13, Paul said this, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation. Exhortation is what we refer to as preaching. And then also he said, to doctrine. Give attendance to these things, he said. Be there, show up for this. Is, is what he was talking about. Show up for what? Well, the teaching, the preaching of God's word. But then he also said, reading. The reading of God's word. <clears throat> so listen, I want you to know that coming to church is good and Sunday school and anytime you can be under the teaching and preaching of God's word, you should. That's a great thing for you. But can I tell you this? Just like any, any baby that's growing up, one of the first things that you want to teach that baby is to feed himself. And can I say, that's something that every Christian needs to learn also. And that's why reading the Bible is so important. Learning to read the Bible on your own, between services, between Sundays. Coming to the Word of God with that readiness of mind, that faith that this is the truth, and, and kind of digging in the Scriptures a little bit to, to let God feed your soul and, and having that exercise between services. Hey, you know what that does? That accelerates your growth in the Christian life. It speeds it up because it supplies the things that you need to equip you to live the Christian life. So reading the Bible helps you to receive it and then also to reference it. There were a couple of times in the scriptures where Paul did this, where he was a tr trying to establish a certain truth and then during the teaching of that truth, Paul asked a question. And the question he asked was this. He said, what saith the scriptures? In other words, what does the Bible say? And I want you to understand, if you're going to be a good Christian, if you really want to grow in the faith, then you need to ask yourself that question many times over during the week. What does the Bible say? Hey, it's a great question to ask when people ask you a question. What does the Bible say? It's a great question to ask <clears throat> as you're watching the 6 o'clock news or, or watching those news flashes that come across your phone. All the different topics and situations that they're bringing up in our world today, <clears throat> it's a good question to ask. What does the Bible say about some of this stuff? Asking that question obviously leads you to searching for the answer. And that's an exercise that will help you in your growth because if you have to study the Bible to answer that question, what does the Bible say about this? Guess what? That's some information right there that you won't soon forget. You know, sometimes we can sit on Sunday, we can hear a message, and uh, we can leave out of here saying, oh, preacher, that was a great message. But by Tuesday morning, what was that again? 
You know what I'm talking about? Hey, I don't feel bad now because I do it too. Somebody will ask me, what did you preach last Sunday? Man, I don't know. Let me see what that. That's been a week ago, right? I've been studying a lot of other things since then. I don't know. Let me go back. Dust off the cobwebs. But, you know, it's not so easy to forget something that you have studied and found the answer to. It's kind of like when you go out on visitation and somebody asks you a question and you say, well, man, I don't know. I'm going to have to find out. And you come back and you study and you find the answer and you ask around and, and boy, you get, a, you get some verses together. Okay, now I know the answer to that. Well, guess what? Next time somebody asks you that question, you're, you're going to be ready to go. You're not going to forget that so easy. And, you know, we need to learn the Word of God. We need to take it in. We need to receive the Word of God. And in order to do that, we need to read it and we need to reference it. We need to say, what does the Bible say? Let me show you these verses very quickly. That, that Paul, where Paul did that. Uh, the first one is in Romans chapter 4. And these are just a couple of examples where the Apostle Paul stopped and said, hey, what does the Bible say about this? Romans 4, and look at verse 3, if you would. He starts off, he's talking about justification. And he said in verse 3, for what saith the Scripture? And he's going to use as an example from the Scriptures, he's going to use Abraham as an example, because he's going to talk to us about justification and how that it comes by faith. Justification comes by faith, not by our works or our efforts. We're not saved because of what we do. We're saved through Jesus Christ because of what he did. So our faith in him is what brings salvation. Right, And so Paul's teaching this principle in the book of Romans. In chapter 4, he comes to this place where he says, so what does the Bible say about this? And he says, he answers the question, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And this, you and I are the saved the same way Abraham was saved. Now, by the way, don't believe those would-be Bible scholars who go around saying everybody in a different age was saved a different way. There's only one way of salvation. And there is a scarlet thread through the scriptures from beginning to end that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Those in the Old Testament were saved by faith, just like Abraham, because they were looking, they were believing God for the offering that was going to come. The Lamb of God that was going to take away sins on the cross. That was Jesus They looked forward in faith, believing that God was going to do this. Now, we in the New Testament era, in the modern day church, we are looking back on the event that already happened. It should be easier for us to believe than it was for them. But it isn't. It takes the same amount of faith because we didn't see it just like Abraham didn't see it. He had to believe it was coming. We have to believe that it has been. And we look back on the cross where Jesus paid it all. He paid for all of our sins. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey friend, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that for sure? The Bible says you can These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. God wants us to know this. 
And how do we know this? By knowing the Bible. When you know what the Bible says, then you can put your faith in the Word of God and in the promises of God and not the opinions of man. Right? Like the songwriter said, all other ground is sinking sand. (laughs) Right? Uh, On the solid rock I stand. That's the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. So, in order to have a heart for the Word, we have to be willing to receive it. And we receive it by reading it and by referencing it Notice in Galatians, let me show you this one also, this second example of asking the question, what does the Bible say? Galatians chapter 4. And verse number 30. Galatians 4 and verse 30. Again, Paul's asking this question. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. All right, so he's contrasting the two, and he's making a theological point here. And during this conversation about this, he says, so, so what does the Bible say? And you know what? You and I would be profited if we would get in the habit of asking that same question in our discussions of life. And while we're talking about truth, what does the Bible say? Let's always go back to the Scriptures. Let's base our conclusions on what the Bible teaches, not on what we feel or think in the moment. What does the Bible say? Hey, when we do that, you know what we're doing? We're receiving the Word. And that is showing that we have a heart. A heart for the Word of God desires the Word of God. A heart for the Word of God, first of all, in order to have a heart, you have to receive it. Number two, if you're going to have a heart for the Word... You have to remember it. You have to remember it. You know, if you've been in church any length of time, well, you've heard a lot of this. I probably wouldn't preach anything on a Sunday that you hadn't heard before. And when we hear truth, it's easy to acknowledge truth. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that. But can I tell you something? Just because you know something doesn't mean you've learned it. That's a principle that, that I learned in math class. Because it's easy, isn't it, to have the teacher explain to you, this is how you solve the problem. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then she puts it on the board. This is how it goes. You do it like this. Step one, step two, step three. Really, if you understand the mechanics, if you know how to do the formula, math becomes very easy. And you look at that problem on the board, and she explained it so fluently, and you think, man, I got this, right? I understood everything she said. I got it. And then you go home and open the math book, and you start working on your math problems, and uh, you get to number three and go, this doesn't look at all like the one she put on the board. (laughs) And you're stuck. And you say, man, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. It's frustrating, isn't it? Because sitting in class, you thought, oh, I got this. But if you can't do it on your own, guess what? You don't got it. You know you've got it, not when you understand it intellectually, but when you can do it practically. That's when you've got it. 
And the same thing is true in the Christian life. You know, if you're failing your homework and failing your homework and failing your homework and you can't get it done, you know, your teacher's going to understand that you don't really understand this. You don't really got this. You're not ready for the test yet. And the Christian life is no different. We have to take what we've heard from God's word, what we understand to be true, and we have to learn to live it out practically to be true in our lives. You know, before we can live it out, though, we got to remember it. We have to remember it in those moments when the challenges of life come. Look with me at Psalms 119. Psalm 119, and let's look at verse 11. Psalm 119 is a wonderful chapter about the Word of God. And it talks about the Word, and, and it uses different expressions to describe the Bible, like testimonies, statutes, commandments. All of those are a reference to the Word of God. And Psalm 119 talks about the benefits of the Word of God in our lives. It's a beautiful chapter. You ought to read it sometime with that in mind, thinking about uh, those benefits. Verse 11, Psalm 119 says this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then verse, you know what, I'm, I'm uh, there it is, that's right. Okay, and, and so he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, right? So the idea there is that I've tucked it away down inside so that I can recall it. He's saying, I have memorized your word so that I can remember it in the moment of need. Let me ask you a question. Can you remember what you've learned in those moments when you need to put it into practice? It's one thing to sit in church and and intellectually understand the principles of the Bible and say, oh yeah, I got that, I got that, I understand that. But it's another thing to, to live it out in your life. And you can't live it out in your life unless you remember it in the moment so that you can apply it there. You know, there's a time for that action to become a reality. I remember preaching a message one time, and a lady came to me after the service, and she said, Pastor, she said, that was a real good message you preached this morning. She said, but, but I want you to know, that's ideal, you know, what you were saying, but it's not real. I said, ideal. I don't understand. What, what do you mean? And she began to explain to me how that, you know, those are lofty principles and it's a great way of thinking, but, you know, real life just don't work like that. And I said, oh. Oh, okay. I said, I got you. I understand. I said, well, that tells me only one thing. If the Word of God is ideal, but it's not real, I said, that just tells me one thing. And she said, what's that? I said, you ain't doing it. If the word of God is not getting down into reality, it's because we aren't living it like we should. Because we're not doing what it says. Or it would be real. I know I get it. It's hard sometimes to love your enemy and pray for those that despitefully use you and all that stuff. I understand that. But that's ideal, right? That's what Jesus taught. We have to remember that in our tough moments so we can apply it. We have to remember it. That's the first thing. First, receiving it and knowing it. And then remembering it in the moment. 
Because that's where we want to make the application. Well, you can't apply it. You can't live it if you don't remember it. Some of our younger folks like to play video games. And you, you learn when you get to this level and you get to this spot, you've got to do this in order to win. And it's easy to watch that on a YouTube cheat video and say, oh, oh man, I, I got that. I understand. Man, now I can win. But when you go back to play the game, if you don't remember to do that, you're not going to win. <laughs> right? Now, I know this is true because back in the day, when I was a kid, I remember visiting my grandmother, and this was when this was back in the day when, when Pac-Man was all the craze. And it was just interesting. It, I remember it to this day because I was so amazed. I knew we played video games, but I was very surprised to see my grandmother playing video games. Look, she, she, was, she was like a gamer before the term ever came out. She was addicted to Pac-Man. And Mrs. Pac-Man, you know, all that. She, she just loved it. Well, I'm going to tell you why she loved it so much, because somewhere along the line, she learned that, you know, back then, games weren't what they are today. You had one screen, and that was it. It wasn't 3D and all that stuff, you know. It wasn't virtual reality. It was just a game. Well, she, she learned that each one of those levels was a certain screen, and she learned that there's a certain pattern that you have to follow, and there's like, a, there's like a cheat code pattern. It's like the solution. It's like the math problem. You know, it's, this is the answer. And if you do it this way, you win every time because you outrun the little guy that's chasing you. And she figured out. Do you know how many thousands of times she had to play that to figure out that pattern for each one of those levels? Oh, man. You, and I would watch her play for hours and hours. Look, she never lost she would go from this level to the next level to the next level, and we would be saying, like, wow, how you do that? We couldn't even do that. Oh, she would laugh at us. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy for you because you know something that I don't know. <laughs> hey, can I tell you something? We know stuff that the world doesn't know. We've got the cheat codes on life right here. And I'm telling you, the best life that's ever been lived is the Christian life. That's why David said, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. He said, I'm happiest when I'm doing what God said to do. That's because God designed life. He made us. He made all this. He knows how it works and how it's supposed to work. And he knows what brings you and I the most fulfillment. So, you know, we're wise when we follow his instructions. First, we have to receive those instructions, and then we have to remember those instructions. The psalmist said, I've hid your word in my heart. But you know what a lot of Christians say? Oh, pastor. Oh, they say, I, oh, no. Oh, look, I, I just, I'm horrible. I cannot memorize the Bible. Just can't do it. Really? Do you know your address? You know your phone number, you know your social security number, you know your kids' social security numbers. <laughs> you know, the truth is, we remember what we want to remember. Right? Hey, anybody ever moved? That means you had to unlearn that address and relearn a new address, right? Did you remember that? Then you can memorize. 
Now, I know cell phones have kind of erased our ability to memorize phone numbers. We just don't do that anymore because they're all in there. That's really sad because then when it goes dead or it's broken, you can't call anybody. (laughs) But, you know, there was a time when we could quote 10 or 12 phone numbers of our friends and family members. We can memorize. The truth is there's a way to memorize. There's a method to memorization. You just have to know what it is. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, if you want to remember God's word, you have to repeat it. Repetition is the key to learning. That's how you memorize something. You have to repeat it over and over and over. My grandmother memorized the patterns of that game. And this was a grandma. If she can do it, you can do it. I'm not promoting Pac-Man. I'm saying she can memorize, you can memorize. But you just have to do it enough times for it to be placed in your memory. You know the old saying says, use it or lose it. So if you read a Bible verse one time and go, oh yeah, I get that. Well, if you don't ever read it again or come back to it, you're not going to remember it. You're not going to be able to quote it. So unless you have what they call a photographic memory, you can't depend on that. You're going to have to repeat it over and over. You you need to write it down on a 3x5 card and maybe put it on your refrigerator or or maybe maybe put it in front of you in the car somewhere where, where you can frequently see and acknowledge and remember that verse. That'll help you memorize it. You're going to have to um, not only repeat it, but you're going to have to recite it. Saying it back to yourself, that's another level of effort as opposed to just reading it. Now, if you want to look these verses up, Isaiah 28.10 tells us about uh, repetition and about memory. Now, when I say repeat a verse to memorize it, I don't mean like three times. I mean like ten times, right? And if memory is a little hard for you, then maybe it's 20 times, right? But, but the real key to memorization is enough times until it sticks. So I don't know what the magic number for you is, but over and over and over. Another good way to memorize verses is to write it out and then to scratch out certain words as you repeat it over and over until the whole thing's blank and you're quoting it verbatim. By the way, when you do that, don't think you've got it memorized. You've got to do that for many days in a row and, and all of that. And there's a lot of science behind all that. We won't get into it. But the Bible talks about repetition, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, okay? And you've got to frequently come back to those verses to keep them in your memory because if you don't use it, you lose it. So repetition. And then recitation. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus was confronted with the devil. The devil confronted him with temptation. And in the moment of temptation... Jesus did what we were talking about a moment ago. He remembered the scriptures. And he applied it in his situation. He recited it in Matthew 4.4. He said, it is written. And then he quoted the scriptures. You know, there are times when you're going to need to quote the scriptures back to yourself. And you are always going to need to remember what the Bible says in order to do what it says in the moment, whether it's temptation or or some other thing that you want to obey from the scriptures. To have a heart for the word, you need to receive it. You need to remember it. Number three, you need to retain it. I'm talking about retaining the word of God in your life, not just in your mind. How do you do that? How do you retain the word of God in your life? Turn with me to James chapter one, and let's see what the Bible says about keeping the word of God in your life. 
In James chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says there, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now you and I know, we all know, that one, right? That, that deceived Christian. You know the one that they think they walk on clouds? They think they're made out of fabric from heaven, right? They're deceived because we know, we know better. We know their life don't match up to that. That's what James is talking about. If you're, if you're just a hearer of the word, but you're not a doer of the word, if you don't really live what you learn, then he said, you're just deceiving yourself. And that's what we do when we say, oh, oh, I, I, I know that. I understand because we don't truly know the principles of the Bible until we live them, right? Not just when we learn them. In verse 23, he said, If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I want to come back to this thought tonight. But he says in verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Hey, did you notice how in verse 22 he talks about the word of God, and in verse 25 it becomes the work of God? How, how did that transformation happen? How did the word turn into work? Serving the Lord. It happened when you put the word into practice. That's when you start living for the Lord. That's when you start serving the Lord. That's when it goes from just being a word to becoming a work. Now, this is something I do for Jesus. And by the way, that should be our motive. Why are we here today? Well, ultimately... We're here for the Lord. We're here because of what he did for us. We're here because we love him. John said we love him because he first loved us. And why would we have a desire to learn the Bible and to live the Bible? Not just for the benefits that it brings, but we have a desire because of him. He is our why. He's the reason why we do what we do. We retain the word of God in our life because of him. So in order to retain it or put it into practice or keep it alive, keep it going, we have to remember it. We have to repeat it. In Psalm 119, we can turn it back there for a moment. In verse 16, Psalm 119, verse 16, the Bible talks about retaining the word of God in our lives. In verse 16, it says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. You know, so we have been practicing that on Wednesday night, coming back to what we heard on Sunday, so we don't forget it. Because it is easy, isn't it? It is easy to forget what we heard, to forget what we learned. I was studying for this message uh, this week and, and came across another message. And I thought, man, I remember this. I remember studying this. I remember preaching this. I, I remember. And I thought, but you know, wow, I guess I had forgotten it until I came across these notes. We do that, don't we? 
And sometimes we catch ourselves in real life situations where, where we don't do what we, what we know we should do. And afterwards we think, man, I know better than that. I know I should have. Right? And we correct ourselves. Hey, this is the work of living the Christian life. We have to repeat the word of God. Revelation chapter 2 verse 5 where he challenges the church there to go back and do the first works. And you know, in order to retain what we've learned in the Christian life, we have to live it out. And sometimes we find ourselves getting corrected by God and we have to go back and pick up and start doing again what we once knew and what we once practiced. But somehow over time, we let it fall away and we stopped. So what's the answer? Go pick it up. Practice it again. Put it into practice in your life and repeat that. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, there's a passage there where he's talking to some people and he says, you know, you folks ought to be teachers. But right now, what you really need is for someone to come teach you again. Why? Because because they had forgotten some things and they had let the practice of some things fall away in their Christian lives. And when we do that, we, we slow and we stunt our own growth. We, we really go backwards instead of forwards. I appreciate these guys putting these verses up here. He says, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. Man, you need to go back to elementary school. You ever needed to go back? I'm talking about in the Christian life. You ever forgotten or, or maybe realized that you haven't been doing some things? I'm talking basic, simple things that you would have said, oh, I know that. Yet, you haven't been doing it. And that's what the Hebrew writer is saying. Hey, because of that, he said, you, you, you have, you're like the one that needs milk again, like, like the babes. You're not ready for strong meat. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians who think they're ready for the strong stuff, but they would choke on it. They're not really ready for it yet. That's why Jesus told his disciples at one point, he said, I have more to say to you, but you're not able to bear it now. Isn't that right? Hey, you know, there really is a challenge to preachers to preach the right message to the right crowd. Not everybody's ready for everything in the Christian life. We've got to kind of scale it and help people grow. Take them from where they are and help them get where they need to be. And that's what the writer was talking about in Hebrews. Let's look at a couple of verses. Um, well, let me move on because time, time is evading me here. To have a heart for the word, we have to receive it, remember it. We have to retain it in our lives. And then you know what we need to do? We need to repeat it. To others. A while back, I was talking about habits of the Christian life, and you know, one of those is to mentor someone else, to teach someone else. Now, we, we call it discipleship. Some call it evangelism. It's, it's, it's really what happens after evangelism. It's part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission was not just to win the world to Christ. But in Matthew 28, 20, it includes also teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. 
If you go to Matthew 28 and 20, I was just illuminated, uh, you know, recently looking at that verse because I've always thought about teaching the, teaching the Word, teaching the principles of God, teaching all of this. But, but the Bible doesn't say teaching the Word. It says teaching them. Oh, wow. That's a whole new ballgame. It doesn't say just teach it. Now, there's a place where the Bible says preach the word, preach the word. Okay. But in that place, it says teach them. Teach them to observe this. It doesn't say teach this to them. That's not what it says. It says teach them to observe this. You know what that means? Well, first of all, that means we have missed the mark on that one. And so I began calling discipleship the forgotten part of the Great Commission. Because really, discipleship in the Bible, discipleship, I'm talking about what Jesus did, what Paul did. We call that mentoring. It's a better word for us to fully understand all that goes with that. Because when we say discipleship, most of us just think, you know, in a classroom, teaching this. I'm going to give you eight lessons on the foundational truths of theology, right? We're going to teach you who God is and, you know, all about the church and all about the Bible. And, and we think when that eight-week class is over, man, hey, you're done. Wow. And that's a far cry from real discipleship. That's not what Jesus did with his disciples at all. Right? And so if we're really going to let the Bible get a hold of us, and if we really start to grow in the Christian life, we'll get to a point where we long to repeat this. We want to share it with others, and we want to help them come along with us. It's not enough for us to get there. We want them to come. We want to bring people with us. Somebody said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far take some people with you. Man, that's what I want to do. That's what I've always wanted my ministry to be about. I want to take people with me. I want to bring a crowd to Jesus. It's kind of like that song says, I'm going to the promised land. Who will go with me? Right? Yeah, we want to take people with us. Now, I know the promised land is not really heaven. The songwriters all sing about it that way, and that's fine. But as long as we really understand that the promised land represents the victorious Christian life. It represents you living in the will of God. Remember, in the Bible, in the promised land, there were enemies there. They had, to, they had to overcome the enemies in the promised land. Well, there ain't no enemies in heaven. The devil don't live there. So the promised land is not heaven. The promised land is where God wants you to live as a believer right now on this earth. God wants you to live the victorious Christian life, he wants you to inherit his promises. He, he wants you to have uh, the life and the faith and the godliness that, that he talked about in his word. We get that as we put into practice what the Bible says. Just like the children of Israel would get into the promised land and they would have it and enjoy it if they followed God's instructions along the way. That's where they were going to end up. Now we know they did get there but they didn't follow all of his instructions. And because of that, there was a price to pay. There were some consequences. And, you know, we have those consequences in our lives as well. Well, I don't know about you, 
But I want God to cultivate in our hearts a desire for his word. Isn't that what Peter said? As newborn babes, he said, desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. You know why this message is important this morning? Because the number one thing, the catalyst of your Christian growth is this book. Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Church attendance can contribute to that. Bible reading can contribute to that. But that's only because it's all based on this. It's centered around distributing this word. When you learn to have a heart for the word, I mean, when you receive it and you remember it, and you retain it in your life and put it into practice in those moments of life. That's when you grow. That's when you are blessed by the benefits of, of what God promised in his word. And then you get to a place in life where you understand it enough to turn around and help somebody else grow and help somebody else get it and help somebody else put it into practice. That's awesome. Because now you're multiplying those blessings, not just for yourself, but for others also. And that's what Paul intended. Let me show you one last verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, also in verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This has kind of uh, become the theme verse for, for mentorship, for Christian mentorship and some of the work I'm doing there. But notice what he said in verse 2. He said, and the thing that thou hast heard of me, the things, he's talking about the truths, the lessons, the teachings, all of that from the scriptures. The things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. He said, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So this is really the pattern for ministry. This is what Jesus did and then what he commanded in the Great Commission. Paul's now doing it. Paul is teaching his students, Titus, Timothy, all of these others that traveled with him, and he's telling them, and you also turn one day and teach it to others who will teach it to others. You know, it's not enough that you and I come and learn the Bible and live it out and go to heaven. If that's all we do, we're not leaving anything behind. What about the next generation? How many of you understand the next generation needs some help? We understand that? Of course they do, just like we did when we were coming up. Every generation needs help. Every generation needs the Bible, the Word of God, the instructions for life. Now, they're going to live them out in different circumstances. The surroundings are going to look different. They're going to put things into practice in a different way. They're, they're going to have a different level of opposition than what we had. But every generation needs this, and that's why it's so important that we take the time to turn around and share it with them, to teach those things, the faithful men. He said, the same commit thou to faithful men. Don't change it. Don't pick out the parts you don't like before you pass it down. 
Give them the whole book. Because they're going to need that. And that part, that, that part you had a hard time with, that might be just what they need one day. So leave that in there. And let's pass it down to them so they can grow also. Amen? Hey, do you have it? A heart for the Word. I'm praying that God would help all of us have that so that we can really live the Christian life the way God intended. And the Bible says, God said in His Word that this book has all of the things that we need to furnish us to do the will of God in our life. So if you sit here this morning and you think, hey, there's something missing in my life, I'm going to tell you where to find it right here. The Bible says that it's profitable for all of us, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God has given us everything we need to do everything he's asked us to do. Let's find it in the Word of God. Let's be like those Christians who eagerly went to the Word of God, ready to obey it. And God will bless you as you do. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you once again for your Word. And we do ask, Lord, that you would empower us as we live it, as we learn it. Lord, help us to put it into practice. And then one day, Lord, as we learn it, give us opportunities to pass it on, to bless and help and share it with others, that they too might have a heart for the word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.